Hey, it's Thomas Frank. I've just got a quick note for you before we get into the show. If you've been enjoying the Inforium or my videos over on YouTube, then you, my friend, should get Nebula. On Nebula, you get ad-free versions of both this podcast and my videos, along with exclusive stuff like extended versions of those videos. And it's not just our stuff that you're going to get. Dozens of other creators are on Nebula, including Ali Abdal, Wendover Productions, Braincraft, Tier Zoo, and lots more. Nebula gives us a chance to experiment, and since everything's ad-free, it's also the best way for you to get our content. Head over to theinforium.com slash nebula to sign up now. What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to the College Info Geek Podcast, coming at you live from my mom's basement. Yeah. That was actually two lies in one sentence. Oh, no. Do two lies cancel out and make the truth? I think that makes sense, according to math. I think, yeah. There's two a lot of math are, in there. If you, they're good. That reminds me of one <laughs> of my favorite memes, just the the... The middle-aged woman like looking around confused and there's all the math equations around her head <laughs> i love it i don't even think i've seen this you may have not seen it it's What's pretty the great internet? the internet is uh i don't know a place full of memes like right now i keep seeing all these grew memes from are you talking about me may maze may maze yeah may maze yep my job is just making them may maze <laughs> uh it turns out this podcast is not live and it is also not coming from my mom's basement because my mom does not have a basement. That's fair. Well, hello, podcasting cat. Are you ready to figure out where the cameras are? I don't think you are. You look like you're just going to sit there and meow at me. <laughs> but yeah, my mom doesn't even have a basement. Yeah. So I couldn't live in my mom's basement if I wanted to. You could create one. Dig it out. Dig a basement. I think I'm just going to end up in the unit below her apartment. Oh. <laughs> and then I'm just going to well, be like somebody, sitting in somebody's living room. Somebody has a living room in your mom's basement. And that person's just like, what are you doing in my living room? And I'm like, what are you doing in my mom's basement? Yeah. I'm paying for this apartment. Yeah, well, you're paying for my mom's basement because that's what it is. I think, you know, to get what you want in life, you just have to be ridiculously belligerent. belligerent. <laughs> I was going to use the word assertive. Unreasonably assertive. Okay. That I mean, that is... It's basically like the modus operandi of Julius Caesar, uh, Genghis Khan, you know, and they were great. <laughs> I, cool, don't, I don't know if I want to use the word cool bros. I don't want to know if I want to use the word great. They are certainly revered as historical figures in certain aspects, but they were also murderous conquerors who had no regard for the oh. livelihoods. Listen, of any of the peoples they conquered, so somebody was going to murder and conquer them. Yeah, you might know? as well have been Caesar. Might as well. Might as well have been. Look, it, the person. Hey ooh, there. we do have a podcasting cat. She actually figured out where the cameras are, or she just figured out where your lap is. That's probably true. Aw, when I podcast with Andrew, uh, for less money matters, his cat is, I would say, about fifty percent of the time on the back of his office chair. Yeah, which is a normal office chair. It's like this. So oh. she's like. It's a little precarious. Just sort, yeah, just sort of balanced on that tiny little office chair back. There's, there's like really not much to lay on there. But uh, she's a weird cat and also a very tiny cat that likes to climb on things. Is that the one that likes to hide in invisible things? Yes. Good. Yeah. Uh, so for people who don't know, um, there, there was like a, a dry cleaning bag. And the ones that I guess the dry cleaner they go to, it's a completely clear translucent bag. But for some reason, their cat believes that when it is inside this clear plastic dryer cleaning bag, it is completely invisible. And if you walk by, it will pop out thinking that it has surprised you and go for your feet. And it is adorable. <laughs> Stealth. <laughs> I love it. Uh, she doesn't do that. No. She's a little less feisty. But she's cute. Anyway, um, you know, aside from the idea of me going and just taking over some random person's apartment and turning it into my mom's basement for myself to live in. Yes, indeed. You know, I think for the most part, I've been enjoying living independently. Like, that idea is attractive for sure, but there are definitely benefits to uh, not living in my mom's basement and uh, or, or in any, any house owned by my parents or parental figure. So today, we thought we would do an episode about... Anything that you want to consider when you are moving out and living independently for the first time. Yeah. Because there's a lot of considerations. There are quite make. a lot of considerations. There are. And you got to get used to a lot of stuff. 
and this uh, to some extent a lot of these apply when you just you know go into school or college but a lot of them don't even apply then and then you've still got another burst of independent needing to figure out stuff when mm. you move into an apartment or you mean or like a when, house you're, when you're done with college yeah like because because okay. a lot of these things they apply when you're in a dorm or something on, on campus but mm-hmm. then when you move to the next thing there is probably yet another level of things you need to figure out yeah though so i guess i think most students tend to have some dependency on their parents while they're in college oh i suppose that's fair i did not uh and my mine was pretty slight i think my parents for like the first couple of years of college they kept my car on their insurance so like they paid for the car insurance but i paid for my own cell phone bill and paid for basically everything else but there's still a lot of like I don't know, there's a lot of dependency there. Like, before you are 26, you can be on your parents' health insurance, at least in the United States. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of kids are on that for a while. I don't know why I'm saying kids, because you could be like a 25-year-old adult man on yeah. your parents' health insurance. Yeah. Uh, I think I got off of my parents' health insurance quite a bit before that. And I think that was because, I think it might have been around when I was 22 or 23, my dad was like, it's going to cost me a lot for you to be on my health insurance. And I said, okay, I'll pay for myself then. That's fair. But I d- I've always been... Any. Huh? I don't think I had any. That was my solution. You just didn't have any? Yeah. Did you have to pay the fee then? I just paid for um, the school. I just used the school doctor. You, well, I mean, did you ever have to deal with the whole, like, if you don't have health insurance in America, you have to pay that fee or whatever? Oh, no. I've, I've had my own insurance since then, but I've oh, never been okay. on my parents' insurance as, like, an 18-year-old plus ever. Gotcha. Yeah, I think I was for about four years. But one thing that I have kind of always tried to do ever since I got out of high school and maybe even a little bit before high school is I have sort of purposefully moved away from any dependence on my parents to the point where I found it really weird in college when friends would say, uh, my parents are going to be mad about this grade that I'm going to get. Yeah. Because I was like, wait, your parents have access to your college grades. And I guess, like, if your parents are straight up paying for your college, maybe they have a right to have access to your grades. But my parents certainly weren't paying for my college, so they never knew what I was getting in terms yeah. of grades ever. Yeah, that was the same for me. I don't think they have ever once asked for or seen any of my grades in you college. You should just bring them your report card. Like now? Yeah. Hey, Mom, I forgot to tell you, you know, five years ago, here's my college transcript. Just wanted to show you how I did. Be proud. I, I see. Is that a C on there? Disowned. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> uh, so I, I kind of handed the research for this episode to you, and I'm just going to riff yeah. on stuff that you bring up. So what are some of the things that people need to consider when they're going to be moving out for the first time? All right, so the first one, of course, it's got to be talked about. It's not that fun, but the financial aspect. Mm. And you, you can get more in-depth on this because we have a whole episode on budgeting, uh, 174. That's probably the number. And... Uh, but there are still some things that are unique here. And so if I was moving out and I was moving out for the first time, the first thing I would want to do is have a, an estimated budget, just an mm-hmm. idea of how much stuff was going to cost. But for the first two or three months, I would want to track my expenses and keep track of what is a realistic mm-hmm. budget here. How much does stuff actually cost yeah. having moved out? Because there are a lot of things you might not consider. We've got all the new fixed expenses, some of which are obvious. You've got rent in your house payments, student loans or whatever loans, car payments, a billion kinds of insurance. Renters or homeowners, Ooh. health, dental, car insurance, yeah. all sorts of things. I'm going to bring up my little budget sheet just so I can like yeah. pull from that while we're doing this because I actually have written in basically all my fixed expenses are in here. Nice. Yeah, renter's insurance is on there, health, and dental like, insurance, uh, car insurance. Pet fees or perhaps a one-time pet deposit if they if the place you're moving into doesn't want them to damage the floor or something. Mm-hmm. We had to pay both. And uh, utilities, which you probably need to set up in your name yes. before you get there. That's, that's a big deal that's kind of weird to do because for some people, I think it's probably the first time they really need to set up something that official yeah. in their name and be like, why, yes, yes, sir and or madam, I... I am an adult, and I would like to buy an internet. Thank you. <laughs> I told him I'm an adult. <laughs> oh, wait, I am. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. I don't feel like one. So I had to go to City Hall to set up water when we were in Iowa. You had to go to City Hall? You Why? guys you guys were shielded from a Why lot of... Why did you have to go to City Hall? Is that a thing in Iowa normally? Uh, so apartment complexes often take care of the stuff for you. 
but because we were renting a house uh, mm. and the management company that was managing it was very kind of hands off, I had to do everything. So I had to literally go to City Hall and get they a form hands off, for they? water service. <laughs> they so were. They like, I honestly don't think they had the best wishes of the um, company that owned the house in mind because they basically said we could do whatever we wanted to. <laughs> and then the next year, they, there was new management. They were like, don't put any holes in the walls. And we're like, well, we already put a bunch in the wall because yeah, the last manager said we could literally do whatever we want. <laughs> I knocked out walls. <laughs> That's pretty funny. But yeah, we had to figure out how to do that. I had to call the, you know, I had to call the energy company and set up an account with like, like Alliant Energy or something. And then I had to go to City Hall and get a water form to get water service for our house. I had to call the internet company. Like, yeah, you guys didn't have to do anything because I just made you guys pay me rent, but. There yeah. was a bunch of things you to gotta set, set up. all that stuff up and like coming mm-hmm. here, you know, like uh, we've got our own modems. So we had to call the internet people and say we want to set this up with this modem. Here's all the specific nonsense we need to do. Which is smart. It is definitely smart to Google the internet service provider that you're going to be going with, and then figure out what their compatible routers and or no, modems are, and then buy your own modem. Yeah. Because otherwise you're going to charge you like twenty bucks a month for a modem, and eventually you know the price of the modem. Yeah, I think paid you, like you're probably going to keep paying internet. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't see that stopping anytime soon. But yeah, you've got all those new potential fixed expenses. Yep. The insurance being the most confusing and all. Well, the nice thing know, about insurance of them, um, at least you know, in in my experience, renters insurance you pay once a year. Yeah. So. Yeah, you can you just you basically need to like pay it in a lump sum. Ooh, and so this is something that our friend Damar has told me because he works in insurance. Uh, he said that it's a good idea to take a video of your whole living space yeah. and kind of like focus the camera time. on everything that you own. So that way, in the event of like a fire or theft or something, you have proof of everything you owned. And apparently that can help when you're doing a claim. Yeah, I did that but last it also, time. I need to do it here still, actually. Yep. I've, I've been... We should probably do. Well, Putting I need to do off. it. I probably need to do it like every other week or every other month because we yeah. tend to buy so much gear. Like all the cameras filming this podcast are yeah, new. I hope. I hope they don't <laughs> mind that I'm probably going to do it really dumb vlog style. Like, and over here we've got my guitar. It's pretty fun. I hope you say it in that tone of voice because <laughs> I, I did in my previous one. It was just like I don't care. I guarantee you, if there was like an insurance guy watching your video, they would find it very amusing. He so. gets the maximum reward. <laughs> you made my workday entertaining. Yeah, thank you. Insurance is not that not that entertaining normally. But you also have to sort of uh, try to estimate what the yeah. total value of your stuff is so that way you can buy enough insurance to cover it. Yeah, and, and then if you happen to buy down, new things. I would need that video to yes. remember to remember even what I own. Just I like, own? wait, oh, God, that's a lot of video games. Let me just write that down. Though I get the feeling that you're the kind of person who might just be like, start over. Well, I would still want the money, you know? <laughs> it's true. I would want uh, money. I want them to give me the money, and then I might not replace everything. I'd just be like, it's, you know what? I like it better this way. It's What are you hoping to get out of this like, job? It's like minimal. Uh, money. Specifically, like, two weeks worth of money. Oh, nice. That's <laughs> hired. That's the most motivated I've ever heard somebody. Seems like a dynamic go-getter to me. So uh, yeah, so that's insurance or that's renter's insurance. Yeah, so you we also got, gotta do we health got all those and dental fixed expenses, and, and mm-hmm. uh, there are variable expenses that are really fun. And one consideration might be cost of living differences if you're not aware of them, and mm-hmm. how is that going to affect you? Because moving to Denver became it's way more expensive. Mm-hmm. Like you know, like I make more money here than I did in Iowa, and yet somehow feel. Like I had more money in Iowa, yeah, because that's just how it works. And uh, well, rent was so cheap in Iowa because we had five people in one house. Yeah, you know, and we were cheating the system. We we were so cheating the system. The house we lived in was amazing, and it, it was, was like four hundred dollars a month per person. So it was pretty yeah. cool. And uh, so one one other variable expense that's not really one expense, but the habits and lifestyle mm-hmm. that you might build up in your new area. So if you live near cool restaurants and attractions and stuff, it's really entertaining, but it will probably decrease your health because you won't cook as much maybe, mm-hmm. and you'll probably spend a lot of your money on food and entertainment and whatnot. And if you live near a grocery store, it encourages daily shopping trips where you'll probably mm. buy one stupid extra thing every single time, and it'll add up. You or always if, do. If you live somewhere with extreme weather, your utilities might be more expensive. Yeah, 
like our utility is what kind really of what expensive. kind of lifestyle and requirements are you going to have based on the environment you're in uh, mm-hmm. lawn care you know if you have a house as opposed to an apartment you got to do something about the lawn you can do it yourself or you can pay somebody to do it yep i paid somebody yeah so, so we had a weird hill i think ditch. you never lived in dorms did you no. Did you immediately get an apartment with a friend, or were you living at like their parents' house, or what did you do? I can't remember. Well, I went right into right into Freddie, right into the apartments. No, I mean back in Council Bluffs, though. I lived with a friend. That's in, right. Okay. In his basement. That works. Okay, so I think this is it's pretty applicable to you, very much for me. <clears throat> My transition to living independently was actually pretty gradual. Uh, so my intention immediately going into college, and I didn't go. I didn't do community college like you did. Um, I went straight to a four year and I had a really good friend from high school and we had decided to live together. So our intention was actually to skip the whole process of living in dorms and go straight to an apartment. And the whole mental calculus there was we'll get more space for less money and then we could just work part-time jobs and pay it off. Uh, And what I didn't know at the time was that the dorms did have a monthly uh, option for paying for the dorms. Like I, I, I thought there were only semester like you had to pay for it in lump sum yeah but there was actually a monthly option didn't know about it so in our minds it was like all right you have to take out student loans to pay this three thousand five hundred dollar per semester uh, dorm charge or we could just get an apartment split it and pay it per per month with our part-time jobs so that was like the whole plan at first and then i spent the entire summer before college reading every single college prep book my local library had and one of them, which I believe was The Naked Roommate by Harlan Cohen, uh, said that you should live in the dorms, at least for your first year, because it puts you right in the thick of things, right on campus. You are super close to all the opportunities. And the thing is, when you go back to your apartment at the end of the day, if it's not on campus, you aren't going to want to leave again to go back to campus for an opportunity. Yeah. And also, it's going to put you like in this dorm. Everyone has their doors open. Everyone just walks in and meets each other. So I decided that that would be worth it. And I think it was because I think I could have easily dealt with the transition to living in an apartment directly after college. Uh, But I really did value that experience of being in the dorms and having all those open doors and meeting all those people. That was a lot of fun. Kind of the few times I visited, it was really cool. I kind of wish that I did that, but you know, whatever. It's a little late for me to move into the dorms now. It might just seem weird. It would seem weird. And so one thing I've also learned about this gradual transition to independence is that uh, there are going to be phases. They have their pros, they have their cons, and eventually the cons start to outweigh the pros. Like after two years in the dorms, we really wanted out and we really wanted an apartment and we were just, we, were, we could not do another year in the dorms, but that doesn't mean that we should have skipped the dorms. I think that the first two years, especially the first year was a ton of fun. It was super valuable to have done it. And eventually we sort of matured. We got everything that we wanted to out of the experience and then we moved on. So I guess I say that because I think there is value in having a slow transition to independence instead of maybe just going straight to an apartment and trying to be as independent as possible right away. Not to say that that is the wrong way to go about it, and I think there there could be value to that as well, but as an 18-year-old high school graduate, being told by those books that you really want to place yourself in the thick of things, give yourself the most opportunity to build relationships, be in the dorms, Uh, You know, be like five minute walk away from any building on campus in case there's an event. That's worth it. And I have to agree having gone through it. Yeah. So that was like the first little transition. One thing that uh, struck me that I didn't think about when we moved from there to Freddie was that Freddie didn't have a lot of things that we were used to having in the dorms, like trash cans in the bathroom. And uh, well, now we had to cook. So we had to fill out an entire kitchen. And there's all yeah. these things you don't think you need because you totally take them for granted if you're living at home or you're living in the dorms where you have a meal plan. So part of your budget when you move into an apartment for the first time should be uh, put aside for buying all of those things. Yeah. Plates and dishes and cups and silverware and trash and trash bags and dishwasher pods. Yeah, and, and furniture and bath towels. Furniture. And... Well, I guess Freddie was furnished. So that was that yeah, was that another... Was lucky there. And we keep saying Freddie, and people don't know what Freddie is. 
Uh, Freddy was short for Fredrickson Court, which was the campus-owned apartments, which were furnished. So those came with couches and recliners and uh, tables. And then we moved to non-campus-owned apartments, which were totally empty when we moved in. Yeah. I mean, they had a fridge and a sink, but uh, no furniture. So we had to buy a table. And I think I remember going to the furniture store with you and trying to find a table. And we were like, oh, my God, all these tables are $700. So for the first while, we just had a fold-out Walmart table for $25. And then we found that clearance one for like 200 bucks, which yeah. we still have. Yeah, this stuff this stuff adds up a lot. And that's, mm-hmm. that's one of the variable expenses that I got in here, too, because – You've got your other stuff like your food and whatnot and repetitive boring stuff. Like you got to get toothpaste and soap and toilet paper and all this nonsense. But the biggest thing, even when I moved here, because I didn't actually own a lot of furniture or really anything, all the kitchen things, all, yeah. the, all the appliances, vacuum cleaners and this other boring yeah. stuff. Um, I would also say you don't need – you probably don't need every single one of them that like your parents had or your previous home had. So mm-hmm. if – You'll be in a rush. When I moved here, I was kind of in a rush to have it finished to be done. Yeah. I had this ideal. Mm-hmm. And I think it would have been smarter if I could go back to spread those purchases out and be like, wait a second, actually, I could totally get by without that. Why would I even need that? Yeah. And I think that mindset actually helps you to avoid buying things that aren't needed. Yeah. So my guess is, unless you are the kind of person that has parents who really knew what they were doing with cooking. You probably grew up in a kitchen or in a house that had a kitchen with a knife set that was probably given as a Christmas gift, and there was a zillion knives in it, and you probably had a bunch of pots and pans. Yeah. And it turns out you, don't need, it. you need a good chef's knife and maybe a serrated knife, and that's it. And you can totally get away with like one or two pans and a pot. Yeah, that's like all I have now. And all those kits, you know, the big boxes come with so much stuff. You think you need it, but you really... Mm-hmm. You really, really don't. Also, you're probably not even a good enough cook yet if they do have a purpose. Yeah. So why bother getting it yet? One of the things I read on one of those uh, Reddit threads about homeownership that we talked about last week was uh, some guy said that he keeps this piece of advice that his dad gave him in mind all the time, which was, congratulations, son. You have the house. Now you have a lifetime to fill it up. So he said he keeps that in mind because there is this temptation to try to fill every single room up really, really quickly. But as it turns out, you don't need all those things right away. And it's much better if you take the time and wait until you find that you actually have a legitimate need for something. And then you can do the research to get exactly what you want. And you probably have the budget to buy something that is quality. It's going to last you instead of having this mad dash to blow your entire budget that you have right now and everything you could possibly need. And you're probably going to have to buy really low-quality versions if you do that. Yeah. So, yeah, better to wait and just, okay, I think I need a pan. Cool. Where can I get a good pan? And yeah. also there's the Tremontina pans at Walmart are pretty good stainless steel for cheap. She's just having fun. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> okay, Studio so, cat. Yeah, so that there, there's some the basic rundown of the expenses. The mm-hmm. CIGpodcast.com slash 174 has more budgeting stuff. Yeah. But... Another thing here is the household sort of maintenance kind of tasks mm-hmm. that you're going to have to do now. So, like, do you have a dishwasher? Do you use a dishwasher? Or do you hand wash your dishes after each each meal or something? If you do the second one, you hand wash everything, you can get away with owning very few dishes. Yeah, you can. But if you use a dishwasher, you're probably going to want to fill it up and still have something to eat on when mm-hmm. you haven't run it yet. So that's a consideration. You've got to worry about the laundry and... All this nonsense vacuuming, like, are you going to do this on a schedule? You've got to keep yep. your doors locked, probably, unlike the dorms, because yeah. I, I would not just leave my house <laughs> unlocked all the time. You've got to care about trash no. and recycling, what days they are taken, or if you have to take them to an obnoxiously full recycling bin all the time at your apartment complex. Mm-hmm. And uh, you've got to consider, does it make more sense to, say, give up a day every week like Sunday to do all this stuff? And then you get your free time after work or before work every weekday? Or do you want to do this stuff throughout the week and then have like a free weekend or something? You're going to have to figure out how to balance it, particularly if you are attempting to live with somebody else. And you've got to worry, lastly, about 
do you want to teach yourself to fix things when they're broken? Do you DIY fix stuff? Do you have the authority to do that? In an apartment, maybe you don't. Mm -hmm. And that's a big consideration. Though, uh, when you, you say authority, and you have a very good point there. There are certain things that you probably aren't allowed to try to fix yourself in an apartment. Yeah. You shouldn't. That being said, um, because I'm friends with Andrew, who has rental properties that he owns, and I've also been an RA before, and you know, I've just heard from a lot of people who are in the business of managing tenants. There are a lot of tenants out there who don't even try to change light bulbs themselves. Yeah. Change your own damn light bulbs. Seriously. Like, that is so easy. And I think if you don't change your own light bulbs, that is like a slippery slope to learned helplessness. And oh yeah, it's just like you're not going to develop that independent mindset. I don't know. Maybe I'm just on a soapbox right Unless now. Unless they got some weird light bulbs, maybe. Yeah. I, okay. I don't really know what kind of weird light bulb. Like, there's even a fixture on that. But it turns out if you screw the fixture counterclockwise, it's threaded. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it comes right off. I don't know. And I, then there's like a light weird, bulb in there. If they have some weird halogen ones, the big tubes or something, I'd if be like, I don't want If you got weird halogen that. things, then yeah. Maybe I used to have those, those in my house. Those are dangerous, and you need to be very careful with those. But most people have regular light bulbs. Change them out. You know, if you if your toilet is clogged, buy a plunger and unclog it. I don't think I'd want maintenance to fix that. I'd be like, I'd be very embarrassed. About nothing that. happened. Maintenance, <laughs> look away. I've actually that. Well, I've had to learn on, on things like that. That just like things happen in life, and I think um, embarrassment that paralyzes you from asking for help can actually make things. Well, worse. I mean, I, I'm so assuming that to... the problem is simple and that you should and can fix it yourself. Yeah. I mean, if you can't, then don't just kind of do nothing. Right. But I think there are certain things that are easy enough that you should just have the mindset that you're going to teach yourself how to do it. Changing a tire on a car. If you own a car, you should know how to do that. Yeah. Like that, that, I think that is part of becoming independent is developing this mindset of I can do this. I can learn how to do it. I don't know how to do it right now, but I can learn it. And I think the people who successfully live independently – earlier on than others are the ones that have that mindset built in early on as well that think i'll figure it out yeah also you're going to save a lot of money if you don't have to call like on-demand mechanics to come swap out for a spare tire or Mm -hmm. something you're still going to call your mom to ask how to do laundry properly but if you just have that spirit of independence and you have that willingness to be a solution finder and to look things up then you will do well. Yeah, I mean, we have the magic of the internet. You know, they didn't they always do. have that. They probably had to ask their parents and didn't really have a better resource. Mm-hmm. In fact, there is an entire YouTube channel called How to Adult. And that whole channel is just full of things that you probably are going to need to learn at some point yeah. if you are going to live independently. Uh, there's also, at, at risk of sounding a little bit sexist, there's, an, there's a website called The Art of Manliness. I think it's just artofmanliness.com. Mm-hmm. Um it's a very guy-centric website, but there there's a lot of articles on the website that are basically like DIY, how to fix things, how to live independently. I think one of those is the thing I found on Google for jumping a car. Yep. Jumping a car battery. Every single time I need to jump a car, That's the, one the I Art found. of Manliness epi- or article comes up first. So even if you're not a manly person... Uh, I think there's a, a lot of really good stuff on that website. Yeah, I think jumping a car is, is more like the art of capableness. You, the art you, of capableness, you, yeah. You, How to become a capable should, human being. You should be able to do this. Exactly. And so that this is a project that I also want to work on at some point in, in some capacity is building out some sort of resource on how to live well independently, how to move into adulthood with class, so to speak. Yeah. So that's, that's also something that you will probably see coming more on this podcast and other things connected to me. But... You know, for now, Art of Manliness is great. Uh, How to Adult is great. Yeah. But I think the main thing is the mindset. Because there's a zillion websites on how to do things. Yeah, there's plenty of answers. It doesn't even really matter what website you prefer. You can find it. Mm -hmm. Um, So the next thing I got in here is cohabitation. Because this one is mm. the intricate politics of everything. You know how politics like gives multiplayer magic its flavor? This is the thing that gives living its flavor you need the politics you got to have the intrigue who's going to do the chores True. i don't know it's a mystery <laughs> <laughs> uh i know who's not going to do the chores not me <laughs> Fair. That, that's the person who doesn't not me who's not me i don't know yeah so 
I guess uh, one important question here is, does everybody that's going to live there have their own space? They don't need their own room Mm. necessarily, but at least a space somewhere that reflects them or that they can go to if they want to be alone. I think that if you don't have that, you're opening opening, uh, a box with a lot of stress inside. Well, we dealt with this. Yeah. Because we got a four-bedroom house with five people. So yeah, it seemed like a great idea at first, but eventually did. there were like some stresses because mm-hmm. you know the basement is a lot bigger than a room and also doesn't have privacy at the same time. So yeah, exactly. So for context, we there were five of us uh, that got the house in Iowa, and every one of us wanted a room, but one person valued having a gigantic, awesome basement gaming setup more than having a room. So the deal was he would take a corner of the main basement area as his quote-unquote room, which was just a bed out in the open. But in return, he got the rest of the basement for his amazing gaming setup, which seemed like a great idea at the time. But it turned out that when there was like a stressful thing for him, there was really nowhere he could go. Yeah, and that that sucks. And and he was just like sleeping out in the open. Turns out like you don't actually like doing that. So I would never do that again. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think I think everybody should have their own space. Even here, Ashley and I are living in a one bedroom. Mm-hmm. We still have our own spaces. We we took the little dining room and we said this is going to be uh, Ashley's library slash office. Yep. All my stuff's in the living room because I happen to own the electronics and seating as well. Mm-hmm. So my stuff is there, and I don't have a lot of other things. It's actually mostly a neutral living room that happens to be filled with my stuff. Yeah. I'm not taking the biggest room for myself for no reason, <laughs> and. Uh, the bedroom is kind of just neutral temporary storage. But mm-hmm. even in a one bedroom, we made sure because at first we thought, hey, you know what we're going to do? We'll split the rooms. This will be our office. We'll split. All, we'll both have office room in here. We'll split the living room somehow. And then somewhere along the line, we realized, actually, if we do that, we're both going to have an office we're not fully happy with. And we're both going to have a living room we're not fully happy with. Yeah. Neither of us gets something we really wanted so if we just split these in different ways Mm -hmm. everyone wins well currently uh we have a little bit less of that i think so i guess like i have my own space because we need a studio to film in but then anna i mean anna kind of has the whole dining room as her space but then like our the overhead shooting setup that we share is there as well so i also use it so she doesn't have as much of her own space as ashley does and that's something she definitely wants in the house. So that's yeah. another big benefit of moving to a bigger place is she can have a room that is entirely for her crafts or at least has, like, dedicated spaces for sewing and everything that she wants to do. I think it's nice to have some area that reflects you personally. It kind of mm-hmm. just feels like a nice little comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Not to mention that Ashley and I have very different styling sensibilities. So my yeah. very neutral, earthy tone, minimalist setup does not – give her the colors popping everywhere, rainbow bookshelf, <laughs> all sorts of everything colored and stuff on the walls. Mm-hmm. If we both compromise that, neither of us get an area we like. Yeah, it's just going to be like weirdly muted, but also very yeah, it vibrant. Was, it wasn't going to work <laughs> together. I didn't like it. She didn't like it. No one likes it. Well, you guys have a good setup now. Yeah, and I think it'll be way easier in a house where there's proper room for it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, even in a one-bedroom, it's possible. So... You've also got to figure out how you're dividing chores, if at all, because I also like the notion of just everybody cleaning after themselves. Yeah. But sometimes that's a little idealistic, and it's easier to just know what you're supposed to do. So I think there are certain chores that it's it's really hard to say, oh, you made that mess, you cleaned it well, up. Like vacuuming or like something. Like vacuuming. You yep. made the floor dirty, only you. Or like, you know, in, in the Ankeny house, I don't think anybody but me ever even thought about sweeping the cobwebs off of the front porch. I probably like, would have just left them there. Spiders make that messy. I like we spiders, don't make it messy. Know? But obviously, like, it looks pretty unsightly after a while. You got to deal with it. And actually, that is another reminder of what's coming for us in Iowa is more spiders. Yeah, Spiders yeah, everywhere. They're coming for us. They are. Well, actually, we're coming for them. That's true. That The spiders should be scared. Yeah. Because the spiders actually never hurt me, and I swept the webs and destroyed their homes. I'm sorry, spiders. But you can't make your home on my front door. What, kind of, what am I supposed to do? Apparently not. Somebody's going to sweep it at some point. But yeah, sometimes sometimes splitting the chores is a good thing to do. But you want to have the, yeah. all of this open because yeah. you don't want to have weird arguments about it, especially if you're living with a significant other. 
Yeah. So this is, uh, I'm sure you have this on your outline, but I wanted to make sure we brought this up. If you're going to live with somebody else, open, candid communication yeah, and respect is the most important thing. So open, candid communication means you are willing to confront problems before they become something really bad that causes a big argument or causes you to start hating each other. A lot of people who are friends start living together and then eventually hate each other. And sometimes that is due to fundamental incompatibilities in living styles. But a lot of times it's due to things that could be fixed with candid communication soon enough. But a lot of times it doesn't happen because you think, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to stir up a hornet's nest. I don't want to make a fuss. I don't want to be the overbearing one. But I don't know. Something I've learned is that learning how to uh, tactfully confront a problem, not from a position of I am right, you are wrong, you will do what I say, but from a position of we have a shared problem, how can we solve it, let's work together, is the number one thing to living with somebody successfully, whether it be a significant other or a roommate. Yeah, and I think it's important that you that you point out that attitude because you can bring it up, but it, and it's not a problem yet. You bring it up tactfully. It's a problem when, as soon as they give an explanation, you refuse to compromise or even consider compromising. Yeah. Just because you got annoyed at something doesn't mean that they have to listen. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's especially important with significant others because you can turn little things like this into huge arguments for no reason. And I definitely have yeah. friends that I can't live with. It wouldn't work. I love them, but we can't live together for some reason or another. Well, and we know. So we had there were there were a couple of people in our little roommate group of five people that just fundamentally couldn't live together. But the arguments would always start because of something that was concrete, something that was like a you know a problem in the house. You're not cleaning up your dishes, or you're being too loud, or you're not turning your video games down late enough at night. But the reason the argument would become a big deal was not because they couldn't agree on the thing. It's because they would start getting emotional for other reasons. One wouldn't listen to the other, or one decided to use an ad hominem attack, or they decided to like bring up things from the past. People get defensive, and they start feeling like, okay, now you're attacking me as a person, and this is no longer about the dishes. This is about my honor as a yeah. man, and I, I will not take this affront to my honor you horrible person and you know horrible arguments happen that way so there always has to be i think number one some assumption that i may be wrong even if i think that i am totally right i'm always gonna be open to the possibility that i'm wrong because i have one perspective and my one perspective is my life experience and this person has a completely different perspective you know maybe i'm just going to bed really really early and it's totally unreasonable how early i go to bed like yeah i'm going to bed at 7 7 p.m because i want to get up for a 4 a.m crossfit class and i've been getting up at 4 a.m and waking him up because i'm a crazy person and i'm still unreasonably expecting him to turn off all of his movies by 7 a.m or 7 p.m that's ridiculous but maybe i get into this mind state where like obviously everyone should get up at 4 a.m and do crossfit why wouldn't they you know yeah you you kind of get into your lane and then you don't look at what the other lanes have in them yeah and you got to bring this stuff up quickly because you were talking about they bring up old arguments and Mm -hmm. stuff if everybody agrees they're going to bring up annoyances like this quickly then there is no ammo for past things you can't turn the dishes into like 17 other things that they had no idea you were annoyed about Mm -hmm. because now now it hurts now it's like you well you could have just told me and respected me as a roommate so that i could fix this for you instead of just letting you slowly hate me what is going on here like now it becomes really emotional so you got to say it like pretty pretty quickly Mm -hmm. well this is one of the fundamental lessons i've learned about what makes human beings tick nothing will anger somebody more than a violation and a betrayal of their expectations that is everything um seriously that's everything that's why when people you know when people are used to dealing with a crap lot in life they usually aren't horribly angry about it in the moment when something crappy happens because it's it's the status quo it's the expectation but if you've built up like a friendship with somebody and then a little problem comes up and you, you enter into a verbal altercation over it and you decide to bring up a bunch of things in the past that they did because you think that's going to be ammo for you to win your argument. What that's actually interpreted as is 
you've been making this mental tally of all these things you don't like about them. So maybe you're not actually their friend after all. Maybe you don't like them. And that's a betrayal of their expectations. I thought you liked me. I thought we were friends. And all this, this whole time you've been tabulating all these things you don't like and not telling me and just hiding them from me and resenting me. What yeah. the heck? Yeah, At least now you if you were open about your resentment. Hate you. Exactly, yeah. If you were open about your resentment, I would have known the whole time. But now, like, this whole worldview I had has been shattered. Uh, this is something that Jordan Peterson is talking about in his book that I'm reading. It's all about, like, life is order and chaos. And the moment there anything is betrayed, anytime your expectations are betrayed, you are thrown into chaos. You no longer have a good grasp on the state of things, and that is bad. Yeah, you're just, I thought you, you loved lasagna Thursdays. <laughs> what are you I doing to me? <laughs> I hate lasagna. <laughs> I was lactose intolerant. I keep telling you this. Yeah. Stop making lasagna. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Life isn't a Garfield comic strip. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> the pipe strip. That the pipe strip. That is, I'm gonna watch that. I'm gonna watch that again. It's one of the best videos I've ever seen in my life. It is a pretty amazing, amazing video. But yeah, um, try to be humble, open to other viewpoints, open to the possibility that you are wrong, but be willing to candidly approach a topic that is gonna cause some conflict. Yeah. There will always be conflict in relationships, even the best of relationships. Literally always. But when you broach the subject often and early and from a place of humility, it's never as bad, you know, which is why I think like anytime we have an, a disagreement or anything, it's like the most calm thing ever because we tend to talk about it pretty, yeah. pretty quickly. And um, I think both of us are, are quite open to the possibility that we're wrong. Oh, I'm probably wrong all the time. Yeah, that's what I think. I'm, I'm probably wrong. wrong about that. <laughs> That, was that a humble brag? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> a complaint of brag? Something. <laughs> so the last thing I got here for cohabitation, at least written down, is how are you going to divide payment? Mm. So rent yep. or or things like trash bags and, and, you know, the soap and all this stuff that shared things that you use. Yeah. So not only might it be important to do that, and write that stuff down, figure out how much it costs, but how you split it can change too. Because if I was living with friends, you know, it'd probably just be split everything down the middle. Don't think about it too much. But with Ashley, there have been times where we've talked about what if like we split the rent by like a ratio, right? We take our incomes, we compare them. We make uh, we make a ratio out of it. Let's say she makes 150% of what I make. Mm -hmm. In that case, if we split the rent 60-40, we're basically valuing each other's time on an equal level because yeah. it's rather arbitrary what we make from our various jobs as long as we're employed and working. Yep. And if it was a weirdly expensive place in 60-40, like if you go 50-50, maybe the person who makes less is now unreasonably low on like cash on hand all the time for no reason. Yeah. And you're just like, well, I don't know why you're complaining. I have all this money. Uh, So it's kind of a weird – Yeah. I can't even think of the kind of – what is, is that a weird socialist way to split the rent? Well, I'm trying to figure out the author. Uh, David Graper wrote this book called Debt, The First 5,000 Years. And early on in the book, he explains that there are always multiple systems of economic division at work in a society. Always. There's always communism at work. And even in a capitalistic society, there is always communism somewhere because it is communism between people that have strong interpersonal relationships. You are Ashley's boyfriend. So clearly yeah. there is going to be a communistic relationship, a sort of from each according to his ability to each according to his need sort of thing there because you love her. So you look at her needs and you look at her wants and you look at your own needs and wants and, your, and what you can both provide in different areas of life and come up with a on paper unfair split because that is a fundamentally communistic relationship based on love and mutual respect. Yeah, because well, I don't want it to be like, well, I'm the rich one, okay? So I'm going to do whatever I want, and you're mm -hmm. going to deal with it. There's got to be some sort of yeah. equalizer. And so this is something that it, it's hard to it's hard to create a prescription on a podcast yeah, that is going I, I out to say an audience. That's necessarily going to work. So all I can do is, you know, all, I think all we can do is is talk about how we personally deal with it, and the way that I deal with it, um, you know. Up until this point, Anna has been contributing about a third of the rent 
And it was sort of the same sort of mental calculus that you went through with Ashley. But there was also a component of, like, I'll put it this way. I could cover the rent fully if I wanted to. Yeah. But there's also a component of, I believe that people need to contribute and need to feel like they have to put in some effort. Otherwise, they feel diminished. Um, There's less of, like, the necessity to contribute in their lives. And I think that necessity to contribute and... um, you know, not a total idleness is very important for sharpening your focus and, and making sure that you don't turn into the kind of person who takes things for granted. So I'm like, I could provide literally everything if I needed to, but what does that do to her? Because I think we are shaped by the demands that are placed upon us. So if I place zero demands upon her, what is that teacher? You know, I'm trying not to come at this from like a, I am the teacher in all ways perspective but in this particular situation it was like i do have the ability to provide all the rent if i needed to and she does not but i think that you know i can't just be like i'll just do everything and you can do whatever you want like that i think that's a bad way to go about a relationship a relationship should have contributions from both sides there's also this component of i understand that uh my goals in life and the things that i am fundamentally attracted to do based on what i just what i really want to do are quite aligned with making a a lot of money like like we just your interests conveniently line up with economics in a way that works out i'm yeah i'm very interested in business i'm very interested in building systems i'm very interested in in creating value creating flywheels things like that i love making youtube videos and it turns out that it it's just like there is this natural progression at least for the way that we've built it where you know the income can be uh pretty significant Whereas at least at the point in her life she's at right now, Anna wants to make art and it's harder for an artist to get off the ground and make a ton of profit off of art. So this came back to that whole like dips in cul-de-sacs thing we talked about in episode 202, you know, and I had to start thinking of us as a team and us as a team, I'm like, all right, well, one half of my team is currently in a cul-de-sac doing something that is only bringing in money but it's also completely taking up all of her time. So she can she can come home and work on art for like a couple of hours, but there's now no time for exercise. There's no time for yeah. personal development. There's no time for going outside and enjoying life. It is literally, you have to choose between your passion, which is art, and uh, you know maintaining health and good habits and a social life and things like that because your job creates those restraints. Obviously, a lot of people have to deal with that, but I'm thinking of the perspective, okay, I have my team and our team has a bunch of uh, goals between us and I have the business and the, the, you know, the, the interests that are aligned with making money. Why not enable the other half of my team to do the thing that it wants to do? Yeah. So that is why we decided that, you know, she can come on and start helping me with certain things, but it's probably going to be less total hours than she was devoting to her job. And that will probably mean that I will end up taking care of more of the rent than I used to. But it's a good way of like saying, listen, I know it's a complete accident. Yeah. Like that my hobbies happen to line up the right way Mm -hmm. rather than you could get, you could get all on a high horse about it and be like, well, maybe you should be into business and computers and, you know, I'll go tell Ashley to learn all the programming languages I know. And yeah, but it doesn't make sense. I I accidentally like those things. Mm -hmm. It just happens to work out that way. And, and if, yeah, if that's she, life. If Ashley wasn't dating you, or, you know, if Anna wasn't dating me, then maybe she would have to go through many more years of working full time and compromising health and whatever to, you know, get to where she wanted to be. Maybe that's how it has to be. There is no one path. There is no fairness in life. No. You know, um, but when you love somebody, there is that sort of communistic relationship there and you have to make the judgment calls. Yeah. And I think if you were to cover everything and yeah the lack of contribution can hurt their self-esteem but it also gives you fuel if you're ever feeling emotional or irrational to be like oh yeah well i've been paying for everything here i don't see you doing anything and now you've just like put a huge fracture in your relationship that's very dangerous that's a that's a bad thing i always always want my relationship to be in a state where at any moment we would both be fine like we could succeed financially independently like there is no full dependence yeah where somebody couldn't succeed without the other yep that way yeah. that kind of argument could never occur yeah i absolutely agree and i, I think the, the equation changes if you have a kid well yeah 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 that that is a so, whole another thing you guys it really does uh it's a huge investment 
But I've we've had a couple of discussions like this where I have said something, and it was you know carelessly said, and I wasn't even thinking in a position of, um, you know, I wasn't even thinking in a position of I'm making more, therefore blah blah blah. But I'd said something that that sort of implied that without thinking, and that made her feel really bad. And then she was like, "What you just said makes me feel like I'm worth less in the relationship," and you have to be really careful because if, if you are contributing more material, uh, more like material things like money to the relationship, it can be very easy to slip into a state of mind where you want to get defensive and be like, you know, cause you're in an argument now. So you want to win. Yeah. And it can be very easy for your mind to go down the path of like, well, I am paying more rent, but that's not an argument that is founded in a position of love. It's a very selfish argument. It's probably not even the argument that you were having right now. You just it's desperately not. want to bring in other points that exactly. make you look good. When you're in an argument, it is so easy to get defensive and to and to grab at anything and any and everything to make your position seem stronger. But in doing so, you make your relationship weaker. Yeah. So anytime you get into an argument, you have to think what what can I do to strengthen our relationship, whether it's a friendship or a roommate relationship or especially a romantic relationship. What is going to make this relationship stronger and better and closer at the end of this argument? And it is almost always coming at it from a position of humility and often swallowing your pride and letting yourself be the one who is defeated because you're not really defeated. You're just emotionally stung for a little bit. Yeah. But uh, emotions pass. They're very temporary, but the strength of your relationship is a lot more long-term. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that's what I got on cohabitation okay. for the most part, you know? <laughs> that went really deep. <laughs> a little bit. Um, so the next is relatively simple on the surface, but just like organization, you're going to have to set everything up. And mm-hmm. I think that something I've learned being in this one-bedroom apartment, that is, I think it's a nice attitude to have anyway, is that, well, one, you want to be flexible. Yeah. So several months in, I reorganized the entire kitchen because Mm. throughout those previous months, I had been noting, what kind of things do I want to cook? What kind of appliances do I actually think would work and that I needed consistently over months? Where do do I want to dry my hands after I wash my hands? Where's the most convenient place for that? Mm -hmm. Where should these things go? You don't know that in the beginning. You might come up with an idea that seems really smart and then you set everything up permanently, you nail all the things and your pots are hanging from the wall and then you're like, well actually I can't really reach that so now I gotta get the step stool every time I wanna cook and it's really dumb. Mm. Like, So first, I would set everything up pretty flexibly yeah, and sort of test it out and improve the UX of your own home mm-hmm. over time. And another thing is having too many possessions for said home is a terrible problem for the UX. So what I've tried to do there is I pick and keep my possessions or buy possessions based on the space I have for them. So I buy things to fit my apartment. I do not attempt to fit my things into the apartment. The apartment can't change. Mm. I can't do anything about that. Yep. So I need to change my possessions to fit the apartment correctly. If something in there does not have a place there is no place that it could go where I would be considered it'd be clean at that moment. Yeah. Then it does not belong in my apartment. It needs to have a place to go where you can't keep everything clean. If you're just like, well, that's the pile of stuff that stays on the floor. So anything that you really know you want that wouldn't fit the apartment is just like a thing you have to wait to get. Yeah, I just wouldn't get it yet. Like, you know, I'd love a grand piano, but I'm not buying it right now because that'd be really dumb. That would take up your whole apartment. Yeah, it, it <laughs> would just be. Nothing else in the it room. would be like this piano is fantastic, but I actually hate it here now. I can't move. Yeah, it's like uh, I have to roll my bike across the top of it when I want to bring it out of the apartment. It's like Roy and Moss in the tiny little flat with a huge TV. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have to sit in the yeah, sink. It's, it wouldn't make sense. So, <laughs> since the apartment or the house, once you've chosen it, is at least for now relatively unchangeable yeah you shouldn't just like greedily buy everything that seems like a cool idea if it doesn't fit in the space Mm -hmm. then you're not going to be happier with it there yeah you got to think hard about it all right uh i don't know if you have anything else but i really wanted to talk about life dependencies and mindfulness of them and i think this is one of the most important things about living independently we're getting deep we're getting real deep all right. But I know we've been podcasting for a while, so I'm going to try to keep it pretty quick. We'll see. We'll see. So when I was a teenager, I was always astounded at the fact that 
just seemingly at random, my mom would do something like, she would say, hey, Thomas, have you brushed your teeth today? It's middle of the afternoon. I'm like watching TV. She's cleaning the house. There's nothing about teeth brushing happening right now. No context. No context. And yet somehow her brain thought, I really want to check to see if my son has been paying attention to his oral health and hygiene today. And when I became independent and started living on my own, that really taught me a lesson because I started to realize, okay, my mom has this sort of constant loop on her in her brain that is looping through all the things she cares about, both that matter right now and that might matter in the future. And then they, they, they come to the foreground of her mind and she is reminded to see and check on them to see if they are the way they're supposed to be. So are my sons taking care of their teeth? Um, this is what I like to call mindfulness about your life's dependencies. Your current life state is dependent on many different things. It's dependent on you having this roof over your head. Well, what is that dependent on? That's dependent on me paying for it and me making sure to renew it before they give this apartment to somebody else and they force me to go live with a bunch of crazy people. Yeah. Uh, there's, a, there's many dependencies and there are many dependencies on the dependencies. Life is just a gigantic weird mind map or tree of dependencies, but there are a bunch you have control over. And part of the, uh, you know, part of living independently is learning to anticipate the dependencies that need maintenance in the future. So that could be something as simple as making sure you brush and floss your teeth every single night. And it could be something as far reaching as asking yourself, where do I want to live next year? Okay. It's not here. Second question if I don't want to live here next year, where do I want to live? And how early should I start looking for a new place to live? Yeah. You know, what I noticed is a lot of people who were back in college with us kind of assumed that they could just go find a new apartment like a month before the lease yeah. ended for theirs. Well, it turns out when you live in a college town, everyone's leases end at the same time. They <laughs> yeah. all end at the end of July, which means that everyone and their brother is trying to find an apartment in July. So I was like, all right, that probably means I need to start looking for a new apartment in May, but I'm going to go talk to some landlords and just ask them anyway. So it was November of the year before I went and I asked a random landlord of a random apartment building. Didn't even intend to live there. I just asked them. All right. Maybe I had like a, you know, the slight maybe intention of checking it out, but it wasn't like I was dead set on that place. But I did ask the manager, when should people start, you know, doing tours and looking? And they said, February. So way far So about six months in advance. Yeah. Yeah. So February of that year, we started looking and I think we ended up signing our contract in March, which was great because that basically gave us first pick. We basically had pick up the location we wanted. We had specific uh, specifications for what floor we wanted to live on. And we got that. Everything is positioning and timing, right? Everything's time and space. And if you understand this, then you understand that certain positions are in demand at certain times. So positions like apartments are in demand at certain times. And if you can take advantage of different times, then you're going to get your hands on the apartment you want. Same thing with grocery shopping. The position of the grocery store is in demand at a specific time, which is 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. on weeknights. Uh, so you could go grocery shopping earlier or later and you're not going to have to wait in lines and then you free up more time to do something else and you could get an advantage. So there's all these things you can think about, but the main idea here is be looping through your life's dependencies, health, education, career development, your relationships. You know, when's the last time you called that friend from high school you were really close with, but you moved away and haven't talked to them in a while. You should probably call them up or text them some nonsense. Just let them know you care. Where's the next apartment you're going to live in? When should you start looking? The thing is, when you live with your parents, it's sort of their job to consider your life's upcoming dependencies and what sort of maintenance they need. But once you move out, it is no longer their job. They're probably still going to do it for you somewhat, but the sooner that you can start taking over that responsibility for yourself, the better off you're going to be. Yeah, so like the opposite of self-awareness is a sort of outward awareness of everything yeah. that's going on at all times. Well, I think it's a subset of self-awareness. Self-awareness contains... Well, yeah, it's awareness of your own context. Exactly, basically. yeah. So self-awareness, we, we should probably do a whole episode on self-awareness. Self-awareness is, you know, what do you like? What do you dislike? What kind of person are you? But also, what 
does your life depend upon? And what do your future goals depend upon? You know, do you want to be a doctor? Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, you just figure it out at some point, and then you say, I'm going to be a doctor. No, no you've, got a, out. you've got a plan like 17 billion years in advance. Exactly. you you got to do pre-med. Okay, where are you going to do your pre-med? Where are you going to do your, your doctorate? All that kind of stuff. There's all these questions. Everyone has goals, but a lot of people don't think about what those goals need, what sort of building blocks are going to be required to get there, and how early do you need to consider those things? Yeah. So just that is the big thing for me is constantly thinking, all right, what's coming up in the future? And if you can build this into a habit, and I believe you can, I believe that you can become the kind of person who naturally thinks of these things through practice, then you're going to see and anticipate any potential problems that are coming up. You're going to medicate a lot of uh, really bad things that could happen in your life. And you're going to be able to position yourself to be ready to take advantage of opportunities that other people would not be in position for. Yeah. So that, that's my spiel on that. Cool. Well, I've got one more thing okay. written down here. This is just part of keeping you happy once you move away. Because if you're moving away from your parents for the first time or you're moving away from school for the first time, it might be weird at first. So I've got here, develop a new comfort zone. Mm. This is something we talked about in the like past in college, one. like when you're moving to college for the first time too. Mm-hmm. But if you're moving to a new house, new neighborhood, new town maybe, new state maybe, then you need to develop a new comfort zone. You've got to be able to go for like – Go walk around, find what your favorite places are. Yeah. Where are the places that you love, your favorite food, your favorite bookstore, your favorite everything? Where do you like to sit and think? Outside, inside? You've got to have these places and maybe try to make some new friends Mm -hmm. through meetup.com groups or, I don't know, anything else, wherever people meet people. Local events, all sorts of stuff. You know? And the idea is that you should be ready and willing at all times to challenge yourself and get out of your bubble. Mm -hmm. But... That's stressful. So you need to be able to come back to something that will help relax you back to a neutral state. Mm-hmm. If you're constantly stressed, you're going to find yourself homesick. You're going to be like, I hate everything here all the time. I could never relax. I miss I miss when I was at home when inexplicably my mom was still singing me lullabies. <laughs> and I was so comfortable back then. You've got to find a new, a new source of lullabies. Yeah. One of the concepts I really, really like in Jordan Peterson's book is he's explaining the yin and the yang and how in Taoism, the yin and the yang is a sim, uh, it's a symbol of the way that life is to be lived. And the way is the line between the yin and the yang, which are representative of order and chaos. So to have one foot firmly planted in order, in order and one foot firmly planted in chaos means that you constantly have abilities to, or opportunities to grow and challenge yourself and do new things, but you also have the ability to come back to your comfort zone, as you said, and recover. Life is a cycle of work and rest, of exploration, and then regrouping, and you need to have a place where you can do that regrouping, but yeah. you also need to have ability or the opportunities to go out and do new things. Yeah, because we've gotten, I've seen emails, I've seen posts in the Reddit on occasion where somebody goes to, they go to school in another country or something, and they just hate it. They, like, break yeah. down. They just have anxiety all the time, and they can't get comfortable. It's all chaos. This is exactly the kind of stuff that you want to – as soon as you get there, you need to start thinking, okay, I'm going to get pretty sick of this soon. Mm-hmm. What parts of this can I find that will help mitigate that so that I don't go rushing back home immediately? Yes. And sometimes you don't have a choice, so you better find a comfort zone or you're just going to have anxiety attacks for, like, a whole year while you're stuck in some other country. Yeah, you got to figure it out. Well, I think that's part of the reason why a lot of the digital nomads eventually stop digital nomading because, you know, my limited travel experiences have taught me that if you're constantly moving around and going to new countries, it's really hard to establish a comfort zone. And I think this is why people who do this constantly find themselves gravitating to expat bars because that's like the one little slice of comfort zone they have available to them. It's like a bunch of other backpackers hanging out in a bar drinking crappy beer. But, uh, you know, it's a bunch of people that they feel some kinship to. It's it's a seeking of a comfort zone, seeking of that order. So you're absolutely right. You yeah. have to build a comfort zone wherever you go. But you can't let it become too comfortable. And it has to be expanded somewhat. Yeah, you've got to be able to challenge it. Yeah, otherwise you stagnate. Cool. Well, I think this is, this is probably much more than we intended to record. As always. But I think it was good. So hopefully you guys found it useful. And... If you have questions or comments, as always, comments uh, are welcome in the YouTube discussion. It's probably the best place to put them, the YouTube uh, episode. 
or you can tweet us. I'm Tom Frankly on Twitter. Um, I'm also Tom Frankly on Instagram, and I do check DMs. But I think the YouTube is like the the best place for discussion these days. There just seems to be a lot of good comments there. So check that out. If you haven't checked out our YouTube channel, we do have a YouTube channel for the College Info Geek pod, uh, podcast. So we'll have that linked in the show notes. And if you want to find the show notes, this is episode, what, 206, right? Sounds right. So cigpodcast.com slash 206. And if you want to find the show notes for any episode, just go to cigpodcast.com and throw the number after the slash. So 206 for this one. Or if you are watching this on YouTube, there's a link in the description down below. So check that out. We will have links to, well, I don't know what we happened to talk about resource-wise in this episode. This was a lot of philosophy and life experience. But we may have talked about certain things um, our show notes guy will find all the good stuff. I know we did at least reference the budgeting episode. Yes. Which I think is a very, it's one of my favorite episodes of this podcast. It is one of the, I think, most useful episodes. So I think people should go listen to it. Uh, and we also want to know, what else do you guys want to learn about personal finance? I have an entire personal finance podcast called Listen Money Matters. So there's a lot we could talk about. I just don't know what is super applicable to students right now. Yeah that we haven't done. So check those show notes out. If you want to support this podcast, one of the best ways to do it is to give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I think you can do it on your iPhone. You can also do it on iTunes, on your computer, whatever kind of computer you have. And maybe Google Play has ref, uh, reviews as well. I'm not sure. I don't know. I haven't checked. Haven't, haven't had an Android in a while. Yeah, we're, we're kind of Apple people, except for my Windows desktop over there. But everything else is very apple these days. Uh, but ratings and reviews, number one, tell us what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, how we can improve. But they also help to bump the show up the rankings and show the uh, podcast to new people, expands the audience. So that is a great way to support the show. Otherwise, thanks as always for listening and hanging out with us. And we will see you in next week's episode. Stay cute.